Hey guys, thank you for tuning in to another episode of The Naturalist Capitalist. This is your host, Reed Coverdale. Kind of exciting times right now as I am recording this. Uh, a missile has just landed in Poland, and originally I heard it was from Russia, and now I'm hearing it's from Ukraine. I don't know if this was an in intentional, I assume it was some sort of accident, but uh, last I heard two Polish people were killed. So that's certainly interesting. And then pretty much by the time we're wrapping up this episode, Donald Trump has an important announcement that he's going to make. So we're all paying attention to what's going on here in one way or another around the country right now. Very interesting times. But uh, tonight I've got an interesting guest. He is young like me. He's also a libertarian. Um, we have a lot in common, including doing a lot of... Um, hiking and peak bagging here in new hampshire uh when i was in high school for my senior project i climbed the 48 4000 footers uh, and that's a thing a lot of people try to do around here um but i figured i'd have him on the show and talk about some of this stuff and his name is derek prue how you doing tonight man doing great reed how you doing doing good man um so what did you think when you heard about this missile hitting uh poland what were your first thoughts false flag <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah i i don't know i have worked with russians uh, i was in the new hampshire army national guard and we've done some overseas training and all sorts of stuff and we've talked with russian soldiers at some points and i don't think that russian command is that stupid to allow something like that to happen i mean give the russians some credit yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I, I, I mean, with this type of stuff, um, the thing that scares me the most is I, I don't feel like anyone would intentionally do something really, really bad to push us like actually into war with Russia. But I, I'm just so scared that someone's going to do something dumb and push us there because there's been so many things that have happened in history where it's been really close and someone has done something dumb, but then luckily people don't respond in a dumb way or whatever. So, um, but yeah, no, I mean, it seems like with everything that could happen, everything could be a false flag to try to just push us deeper into this. Um, and when something like this happens, I just try to think back to the Syria, you know, gas attack that supposedly happened. And it was like, why would, why would Assad do this right now? This doesn't really make any sense. You know, why would he, you know, well, um, you know, well, sympathy would build on his side. Why would he just like throw that all in the trash and, <laughs> you know unite the world against him for doing something like this i kind of felt the same way about this it doesn't really make sense for russia to intentionally send a missile into uh into poland right now at all right yeah there's no motive for russia to do it but i think and by false flag i just mean like it wasn't russia and that they're trying to blame it on russia what i right. do think is a possibility and probably what actually did happen was that there was a ukrainian air defense system that tried to connect with the Russian rocket that was attacking Ukrainian targets and it ended up not connecting with its target and going off course and might've blown into Polish territory. That's, I think is probably most likely what happened that it does happen in warfares. Air defense rockets don't necessarily connect with their targets every time. Right. So you were actually in artillery, right? That was what you specialized in, in the army. That's right. I was in the uh, I was uh, HIMARS crew chief. So the rocket systems that we're sending a whole bunch of to uh, Ukraine that are changing the tide of war. That's what I did. I was a HIMARS crew member. Wow. Yeah, my uncle was in the New Hampshire National Guard. I don't think you guys would have overlapped at all because he left uh, several years ago. But um he was a lieutenant colonel in the New Hampshire National Guard. And I remember, at least in the early days, that's what he specialized in was artillery. Um, and I, the reason I remember you being in artillery is because of that uh, what boggles my mind, Steve, you know, that clip from uh, Don Baldick. And he's talking about interdicting Russian troops and indirect fires and everything. And you were kind of the guy that explained to the normie people what all that stuff meant. Um, but I. Uh, what, I guess let's start there. When did you get into the, when did you join the military and why did you do it? And what did you think of it when you were in it? 
Yeah, I uh, joined in 2016 um, out of high school, 17 years old. Mm -hmm. And it was out of a sense of duty, pretty much. Like I wanted to serve my community, serve my country. Like I, I joined the National Guard because I wanted to stay close to home. And I've always had more loyalty to New Hampshire than I have any place else. Like even the, you know, national United States idea or whatever. It was always New Hampshire first, pretty much for me. And so joining the National Guard was kind of a no-brainer in terms of like fulfilling my sense of duty to serve my country, my community, uh, while also staying close to home. Gotcha. Um, when you were in there, did you enjoy it a lot? So I, I have, I actually thought about joining the military. I talked to recruiters at high school. I took the ASVAB test and or not the actual ASVAB, but like the sample or whatever to kind of get ready for it or whatever. And um, I was like pretty gung ho about joining and then I ended up not doing it. But I had a bunch of friends who did and most of them hated it. Um, and a couple of them ended up really liking it and, you know, continuing after their first term was up or whatever. But what did you think? Did you did you love it? Did you hate it? Just kind of in the middle. What, what was your experience like? So every time I show up to drill, I'd always say, like, when everyone is getting ready for formation, I always say, hey, look, it's my favorite people that I hate seeing. The people <laughs> are amazing. The thing itself kind of sucks. Um, and I did enjoy it for the most part, I guess, uh, pretty much up until the pandemic. And then we started rolling into the pandemic mission. Uh, so pretty much all the national guards across the country were activated to do COVID relief stuff. So the New Hampshire, I was activated with the New Hampshire guard for like a year and just the fucking bullshit that was going on then was insane. And that kind of turned me off to the whole thing. And then that's also when I started kind of getting involved in libertarianism. Uh, I was, we were doing a training mission in the high Mars and, we're sitting around waiting for a fire mission to come through. I'm just scrolling through my phone and I saw a uh, news article about an airman whose name was Daniel Hale. And he was uh, arrested for blowing the whistle on the drone paper. So basically 90% of drone strikes in the Middle East were on innocent civilians. And I was like, whoa, hold on a second here. Because that's whatever intel that the drones are getting is the same intel that we're going to be getting as artillery. And that kind of got me questioning a lot of stuff going on in the Middle East, starting to look at what the purpose of the wars were, how we got involved in the first place. And then it's when I started reading about Scott Horton and all of his research that he's done into the whole thing. Wow, man, that's pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I... Uh... I know a lot of people who were in the military who end up becoming really anti-war. Uh, but then there's also a lot of people in the military who kind of have this feeling that if you didn't serve, you don't have a right to have an opinion about anything. It's kind of split. Like a lot of people, it just kind of radicalized them in one way. But then a lot of people, it kind of builds this. Uh, I don't know what the right word is. It builds like this um resistance to criticism of you know what goes on but um did any of your friends end up feeling the same way you did too or do you feel kind of alone or do you feel like there's a lot of people who feel this way oh yeah uh, definitely a lot of people in the military starting to wake up to what's going on it's getting to the point i mean the whole entire united states military is having a hard time keeping up with manpower requirements like all all retention is at an all-time low and recruitment is at an all-time low can't get anyone to join can't get anyone to stay uh and a lot of that has to do with like a lot of people are just kind of understanding that we have no legitimate mission right now you know we're sold this lie um you know it's good and just to die for the country to go fight the bad guys right but who are the bad guys? I ask this question all the time, especially once I started becoming more aware, like, okay, who are we fighting? A lot of times people would say is Al Qaeda. Okay. Well, Al Qaeda is our enemy in Iraq and Afghanistan, but 
there are allies in Syria and in Yemen. So tell me right. how that worked. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's so like you get these, especially the people who just joined who are in the army for like five seconds and they're like, still have this mindset that we're kind of sold uh, at a younger age or, you know, all the propaganda from the uh, global war on terror and it's still in that mindset. And then you start bringing that stuff up and it kind of gets them thinking. Yeah. So when you started thinking in a more libertarian way, um, did you just start to realize that that was a thing in New Hampshire or had you known that beforehand uh, after you started reading this stuff, did you start finding out about all this stuff in New Hampshire or was it something you kind of knew in the back of your mind already? So I grew up the town over from Grafton, which is, uh, you know, there's been books written about it, the Freetown Project uh, establishing themselves in Grafton. So like free staters were already like kind of had a negative connotation in my mind. Um, and that was just kind of a misunderstanding of what the whole thing was to me. It was, you know, we've got the Massachusetts people coming up and trying to make New Hampshire, you know, progressive. And so you hear about another group of invaders coming and you just immediately, you know, write them off. And uh, that's how I was for a long time. Of course, in New Hampshire, you know, the live for your die state, live for your die is written everywhere. It's on the license plates. It's on the, the road signs. It's everywhere. We're taught this all the time. And so like growing up, I always had, I guess, a libertarian mindset, but didn't really understand what the whole philosophy was until I started looking into it through, you know, reading about Daniel Hale and understanding like what the wars were about. And then uh, January 6th was like another like turning tide in, in my political philosophy. Cause then I was like, what is going on? I don't feel comfortable like being like a Republican. Like, where do I go from here? So I started looking into like the Libertarian Party and then that's where I found like the Mises Caucus, which then plugged me into the greater free state movement in New Hampshire. And then, yeah, now like pretty much free staters are my best friends and family at this point. Yeah. So um, I was with you at the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance meeting the other night and been to a bunch of events with you over the last couple of weeks. And what you're trying to really get introduced to the New Hampshire legislature is the defend the guard um, bill. Could you, I, I'm sure most people probably have heard what that, what that does, but could you just explain it um, to the audience just in case they haven't what defend the guard would do? Yeah. Defend the guard passed at the state level. So this is, you know, not a federal bill. This is a state level bill um, would prevent a state's national guard from being deployed to overseas combat unless Congress formally declares war, as is stated in Article 1, Section 8, Clause 11 of the United States Constitution. So we haven't declared war since 1942, World War I. Uh, sorry, excuse me, World War II. We haven't declared war constitutionally since World War II. Uh, however, like, are we going to start telling veterans of Korea and Vietnam and Iraq and Afghanistan that they weren't fighting in a war? No, they very obviously were fighting in a war, but it was an unconstitutional one. It was one dictated by the executive branch, not by Congress. And so in, by bringing the powers of war back to Congress, it brings more accountability back to the whole process because Congress is beholden to the constituents. And so if a war becomes unpopular, then they'll be voted out. So they're going to have to be more responsive to the will of the people as it were, as opposed to the will of defense contractors who are peddling with the executive. Right. So um, you were explaining to me that this bill actually takes a lot of effort to get passed. It's not one of these that you can just introduce and it kind of takes care of itself. Why is it so hard to get it passed? And on top of that, what type of external pressures come from the military when you try to do something like this? What will they try to do to the state? And what would be the repercussions if it passed? Yeah. So the biggest thing, well, the biggest reason why it requires a lot of effort is because this is a bill that is 
trying to uphold state sovereignty. And a lot of states have not been using their state sovereign powers or their powers granted them by the 10th Amendment. Uh, so this requires a lot of willpower on account of the state in order to actually flex this law that they're trying to pass. And then also it's not something that's been challenged with the federal government. The federal government hasn't had a challenge necessarily uh, to what the National Guards can do. There was a time in uh, the 80s with Reagan that the governor of Maine tried withholding the uh, Maine National Guard, and he was actually successful in doing so. Um, and there are other times that uh, other governors have tried withholding their National Guards from training missions, which actually the Supreme Court has said that governors can't withhold National Guards from training missions specifically training missions, and it says nothing about war. Um, and the belief is that because war power is constitutionally only given to Congress that in all the wars being, since World War II being unconstitutional, that uh, the Supreme Court would actually have to uphold the state side of this argument. So it just, it's not something that has a lot of precedent. Um, so that's, a hard sell to make to politicians to want to fight for this thing. Um, and then also, yeah, uh, the Department of Defense, the Pentagon does not like having the threat of National Guard being withheld from them because uh, over the you know global war on terror, most people don't know this, but between 50 and 60 percent of National Guard units, or excuse me, 50, between 50 and 60 percent of all units deployed to the Middle East uh, over the last 20 years have been National Guard units. So that removes a lot of the capabilities that the war party has been trying to use in these, these intervention wars. And uh, so whenever a state tries to introduce this, they always rush to send some two or three star general to go uh, lobby against it. So that makes it a lot more difficult so yeah it's not it's not a bill that you can just submit and you're not going to have to fight for it this requires actual uh articulate responses and committee hearings and maneuvering within the state house to try and build support for it it's just it's very complicated but fortunately actually last night i went to the uh Derry, new hampshire uh, gop meeting and i met with one of my local state representatives and he is a uh, retired air force veteran and he is going to submit it tomorrow. So he's oh, going to wow. be our champion. Yeah. Congrats, yeah. man. Glad you found yeah. someone. That's his great. name is uh, John uh, Potosek is his name. And uh, yeah, he's going to do this for us. And we've got a whole, the thing too is we've got a whole bunch of co-sponsors that are already signed up for this thing, but no one wanted to take, the charge and be the primary sponsor, but now we got one. And so now the fight is on. That's great. So, um, it's bipartisan too, right? The, I know you were talking to someone who was running for state legislator, uh, state legislature as a Democrat and she won. Um, but are there a lot of Democrat co-sponsors too? Uh, we got two confirmed Democrat co-sponsors. Uh, one of them, not a veteran, but she is a history teacher. So, She's very familiar with kind of the shenanigans going on and she's very much against it. And the other one is a, uh, a Marine Corps reservist uh, and he's a Democrat. And uh, so the two of them, uh, Democrats going to be co-sponsoring this thing. So it's going to be bipartisan. Um, and then, yeah, when I was out uh, campaigning for or you know, sign holding during the election day for a friend of ours uh, who was running in Manchester, uh, I took it upon myself to reach out to her opponent, who was a Democrat, and talk to them about Defend the Guard, trying to get their opinion on it, gauge how the left feels about this issue, and she was fully in support of it. So it's definitely a bipartisan issue. Uh, left and the right can agree on it. Uh, it's To me, it's common sense, right? If we have this Constitution, we should probably be following it. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to play the ad that LP New Hampshire put together. Uh, did you help with the creation of this? Because uh, I didn't actually, but I don't I know if this is something you 
had a heavy hand in. Yeah, I talked to this video is created by Dan Smots, and I talked to him at Porkfest about it, asked him if he would be interested in doing an ad for us, and he said yes. So then, you know, a couple weeks later, we were like, all right. He said yes. Are you going to commit to it? He's like, yeah, uh, just get me the funds for it. And so I set up the fundraiser to do this thing. So people in New Hampshire, not necessarily LPNH or Mises Caucus or whatever, just Liberty people in New Hampshire across the spectrum paid for it. They donated to the fundraiser and sent the money to Dan Smots and he did a great job with it. Yeah, it's got a hundred over 130,000 views on Twitter. I'll just play it. It's pretty short and then we'll talk about it afterward. It was stated that only five times we have declared war in our history. True. But who's going to stand here and say that men that died in Vietnam and in Korea weren't in a war? Defend the Guard is one of the most important and exciting things happening in American politics today. Simply put, Defend the Guard legislation says that the states will refuse to allow the president to nationalize their guard troops for overseas combat without an official declaration of war by the U.S. Congress. It's not like hippies who are against yeah, the yeah, war. Yeah, yeah. It's badass combat vets who are telling you exactly why, short of a congressional declaration of war, you do not have the right to use the National Reserve. So you know what I mean? To, for, for your In other words, never again since Congress, of course, will always refuse to take responsibility for the wars they finance. You tell that widow or you tell that orphan, I'm sorry, son, but your father had to die because we didn't want to lose federal subsidies. The PBS NewsHour came out and did a 15-minute segment on Defend the Guard last year. Everywhere they testify before state legislatures, the Pentagon races to send a two-star general to try to intimidate the states into sticking with the status quo. You know what that means. It means that the Defend the Guard movement is hitting the war party right where it hurts. It puts the brakes on before we rush headlong into some unnecessary war again. Great nations do not fight endless wars. It's just true. And now the majority view. These wars do not serve the national interest only narrow special interests. And while the government can safely disregard public opinion on almost every issue, without the mass support of the right, they just can't do it. If you really want to honor veterans, quit making them. To save America, we've got to abandon the empire. This is a very sound effort to bring back once again the constitutional responsibility of all of us. The spell has been broken. Americans can be tough but smart. Learn more at bringourtroopshome.us and defendtheguard.us. Wow, man. Very well done. <laughs> yeah, I was really impressed. And definitely reaches across the spectrum because, you know, you got Scott Horton and Dave Smith in there. You've got uh, Ron Paul. Uh, you've got uh, Donald Trump. So it's just like, really across the spectrum, you know, hard libertarians. Then you've got like the conservatarian, like, like Ron Paul Republicans. And then you've got the, the Trump, right. The Trumpers. And so that's actually something we can thank Donald Trump for, for making being anti-war popular too. Uh, even though he dropped more bombs than Obama did, his rhetoric <laughs> did, yeah. did help our cause a little bit. Mm hmm. No, it's true. I mean, yeah, I mean, sometimes this is actually why I give Rand Paul shit sometimes, because, uh, <clears throat> you know, he um he he's the very rare exception in a politician who walks the walk, but doesn't talk the talk necessarily. So like his votes are mostly great. But then when he talks, it's just like, dude, you could be so much better than this. And you like say so much shit that isn't like spot on. But um, you're right. Like the, I feel like, um, especially with how destroyed Congress and the presidency is like at, at this point, almost getting up there and just saying something that's true is way more effective than however many bills you could introduce. But on the local level, these bills actually do matter. And if we could actually get this passed in New Hampshire, uh, it'd be great. And it'd be great if we're the first state to pass it. Cause then we could actually, you know, we could have some weight behind our statement that we are the free state and that we are, um, you know, our own thing and that we do care about liberty here. That would, I, I can't think of a better way than, 
you know, passing, defend the guard. That would be incredible. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's a lot of reasons why we can claim to be the free state, but this one is such a huge issue, you know, trying to rein in the empire through defend the guard. Um, that would make a very bold statement about what liberty means in New Hampshire. Um, it did pass in the state house of West Virginia in the video, Pat McGeehan, he was speaking there talking about, you know, you tell those widows and those orphans that your father died because you didn't want to give up federal subsidies. Um, so he, uh, is one of like the lead people, um, leading the charge for defend the guard nationally. And he's a legislator from West Virginia. They did pass it at the state level at the state house in West Virginia, didn't make it through the rest of the way. Um, and that's another challenge here in New Hampshire too, is um, the state house hasn't always been the most liberty oriented, but we've actually had two state senators elected this time around that were uh, New Hampshire Liberty Alliance endorsed. And then we also have another one, uh, Senator Regina Birdsell. She is my senator here in Derry and i'm interacting with her so i'm gonna sway her to our side as well to support this thing um but i'm building support in the state house uh bipartisan uh, i'm gonna do so in the senate once it gets to that point really the biggest thing moving forward now that we've got it submitted to the state house is just wait for the date to come out for the committee hearing it's going to go to the uh, Veterans and State and Federal Affairs Relations Committee. And uh, in New Hampshire, every single bill has a committee hearing, goes to different committees and the committee holds hearing. And those committees are open to the public. So as long as you show up and you've got something to say, your words will be heard by the committee. So we just got to pack that house full of people, full of vets, full of libertarians who care just tons of people make our case. And I think that'll get the point across and that'll give us the, uh, the OTP, the ought to pass stamp on that from the committee, which then we'll go to the house floor. Awesome. Well, when we know what day that'll be or whatever, um, I'll for sure let everyone on my podcast know, and we'll try to get everyone there that we can because, um, it matters, you know, just having people show up and show. I remember in Utah, uh, it wasn't related to defend the guard, but um, they were constant. This was in 2021. They were contemplating passing a statewide vaccine mandate. And so they left the conversation open to the public. They said, we're going to have the business interim meeting and whoever wants to come show up can show up and we'll let, you know, them talk. And I was just really worried that only like 20 people would show up or something, but I forget what the number is now, but I think it was over a thousand people showed up and like 95% of them were anti-vaccine mandate. And they were just given like fiery reasons why it was bad. And it was just so cool. And it felt like, you know, it felt like I was watching a movie or something. And cause I, I couldn't be there in person, but you could Skype in. And so I was Skyped in and I was, I was actually in a mine waiting for some big piece of equipment to get loaded or whatever, but I was just watching in the cab of the truck and person after person, just giving these like fiery reasons why it was a bad idea. So if we can do that with this, that would be great. Yeah. Um, and I've got your Twitter linked in the description so people can follow you there too. Cause I'm sure you'll be talking about whenever that ends up being. And then, um, obviously follow libertarian party in new hampshire is there anything else people can do in the meantime to help this move along uh if you're in new hampshire just send an email to your state rep state senator tell them to support defend the guard because they're going to see it at some point and just getting them starting to think about it especially i would e i would email all 400 state reps and all 24 state senators about it, but especially your own, I would prioritize because New Hampshire, your representatives care more about the people that they're representing. Uh, if you get like five people to email your state representative, there's a good chance that they'll just 
they don't even have to know what it is. They'll just automatically approve of whatever bill that you're trying to, to push on them, uh, which, you know, it's kind of awesome how uh, responsive the uh, state legislature here is in New Hampshire. They, they actually care about who the people that they're representing, uh, what they think about. Yeah, for sure. Well, let, let's switch gears a little bit here. Um, grow, you grew up over near Grafton or in Grafton or near Grafton in Bristol. So uh, oh, Bristol. Town, okay. Yeah. It's two towns over, but it's pretty much a town over because Danbury is like a small sliver in between the two towns. Yeah. No, it's a great area of the state over there. So I assume you've climbed Mount Cardigan a couple times, probably. Yeah. I have a uh, notepad uh, on my phone of how many times I've climbed it. I think I'm at 48 or 49 wow. times I've climbed it. <laughs> Uh, be it's, there for sure. <laughs> it's just uh, 15 minutes away from my house. So I was like, all right, I got to go do a workout. Let me just go climb it. I went to Plymouth State University. So that was like another like 15 minute drive from my house. So between like before classes or after classes, I go hit up Mount Cardigan, something like that. Just get a nice workout in. Yeah, that one and Mount Chikorwa were the two. Have you done Chikorwa? I assume so oh, at yeah. this point. Yep. Yep. The that's that's probably the mountain I've climbed the most. I don't even know how many times I've climbed that now. But um, those two were always like the beginners that my dad would bring each of us kids on uh, the first time. And then whenever we took friends and we just wanted to do like a sort of easy hike, it would be Cardigan or Chikorwa just because they're impressive peaks for how short they are. You know, it's like all rock on top and you can see 360 degrees. Um, but yeah, getting into the 4,000 footers and doing all 48 of them. When did you uh, start tackling that? Was it, were you always hiking growing up and got into it as you got older? Or was it uh, a thing you just got into later on in life? Or how did, how did that all come about? Yeah. So you know, I grew up hiking, just, uh, not necessarily with the 48 in mind, but just hiking all the place. Um, Mount Washington was something my dad did. My dad and I did like, every year um franconia ridge the classics right mm -hmm. uh, mount cardigan obviously being in the backyard and so it got to the point that i was i went to a period where i just didn't do any hiking for like two years straight and that like made me really depressed i was like what am i doing i need to get out there and so in 2019 i decided that you know what I'm going to hike the 48. I'm going to do it in one year. I'm going to do all the 48 in one year. I started on uh, in June. And uh, I started with uh, Mount Osceola. Uh, I didn't count any of the 48 that I had done previously. So I just did like clean slate. And so I started with uh, Mount Osceola and East Osceola. And just pretty much hiked for the whole year. Um, there was one point in like august september that i was hiking like two or three times doing a 48 like two or three times a week and it was pretty intense i did uh kerrigan and the two hancocks uh both in the same day um i was pretty beat that day i did yeah. uh the wildcats and the carters uh all in one day with a friend of mine on uh, yep. the winter solstice so did you do shortest... mariah too or just no, just the the card as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Mariah actually gave me a really hard time. Um, mm -hmm. I did that one three times, and the first two times that I tried summoning it, I got snowed out, like massive snowstorm oh, wow. rolled in. And I just had to turn back, and the third time, I was finally able to get to the top. Damn. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I. Uh, it's funny. I did Kerrigan, Tom Field, and Willie all in the same day um with my dad and you know that piece of paper you got to fill out to get your certificate or whatever we oh, yeah. <laughs> we sent it in and they actually wrote us back and they said it says you did kerrigan and tom field and willie all in the same day is that true and they're like yeah i mean that i didn't even think that was the worst one because we did um the longest day we did was all of the bonds and galehead and north and south twin and zealand all, we like went in Lincoln Woods and 
did Bond Cliff and then Bond and then West Bond and then Zealand and then North and South Twin and then Galehead and walked all the way out. I think it was 33 miles. And I was just <laughs> that was the first that was the first one we did, too. So I'd already done. I did it the same way you did, because I'd already done like Washington and Adams and a few of them or whatever. But I just said, no, we're going to do them all. So this was uh, what was this? 2011. Uh, yeah, this was the summer of 2011. So I was working 45 hours uh, a week at a building supply. And this was my this is my junior to senior year. So I was doing my senior project and I had to be in church on Sunday. So I only had Saturdays. And I did it in, I think, 14 Saturdays, um, all 48. And um, I, this is funny. You said you started with Osceola and East Osceola. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, <laughs> I was alone. Well, I, my friend and I, uh, this was one of the Sundays I actually got in because my parents were gone. So I just went hiking instead of going to church. Um, but on Saturday, a friend and I had done um pass conaway white face and the tri pyramids and that was like 25 miles or something so then i drove him home and then i got up early in the morning and went out to uh the hancocks and so i did both the hancocks and then it was like noon or something i got out and i was like all right i'm here I might as well do the osceolas and um Osce east osceola is so friggin' steep and I got to the top and I was looking out at Osceola because I think it's like a mile ridge one way or something. And I was just like, no way I can't do this. Like, and so I almost, um, I so almost, went through Greeley Pond. I went from, so, you know, uh, it's from the Kankamagas highway. Okay, like right, yeah, yeah. Greeley Pond. Yeah. That, yeah. Yeah. Going up East from there is so <laughs> steep, dude. <laughs> and I'd done that all that hiking the day before and everything. And I was just so dead. And, East Osceola is like mostly treed in. So I was just like, whatever, I'll just take two pictures on this peak and pretend I went out there. And I was like, no, no, you have to go out there. Come on. So then I forced myself to walk all the way out there. And then on Osceola, there's like this big tent plat or this big like uh, platform where there used to be a fire tower or something. And there's actually a decent view. So they probably would have known that I uh, would have taken the, you know, I, I didn't take the real picture on the peak if I hadn't gone there. But then that was kind of a I don't know. That was a defining moment for me. It was like, you know, you're alone and you could cheat this. But no, fuck, you got to do it. Like, you got to get out there. You'll feel bad about yeah, it yeah. for the rest of your life. if You don't do it. And I had a lot of moments like that, like doing that. I mean, it just um, I don't know, especially when you're alone. I did most of them with somebody. But when you're alone doing a hike and you're just doing it to do it and say you did it or whatever it's a i don't know it's uh it's an interesting feeling and it kind of it's given me a lot of motivation in other areas of my life because i was i was 17 when i did that and it's it was kind of defining for me moving forward did have you felt any of that type of stuff from hiking oh yeah yeah i mean especially winter hiking uh you know you're out in the woods by yourself it's cold it sucks and you just keep going and you know if you get to the point it's like all right if i can do this i can do anything and uh, especially when you do the, the long hikes you know owl's head or doing like a half pemi loop full pemi loop presidential uh the carter wildcats it's like all right if i can do this i can do anything right it sucks at this time but yeah you just keep pushing through um yeah i've so i've done uh, the 48 three times now. Uh, oh, wow. I'm like three and a half through right now. I did it once almost completely by myself. Uh, wow. And then I had a couple peaks left towards the end of my first run. And then a friend of mine wanted to do them all. So I was like, all right, I'll go do them with you. So did them all over again with him. And then, uh, uh, ex-girlfriend of mine she was working on her so then i did them all over again with her and uh yeah at this point i've done them three times now some of the peaks like cannon or pierce or washington lafayette uh the bonds bonds are my favorite of the 48 so i've done those just 
way more than three times. Yeah. I think the bonds I've done five times now. Canon I've done almost 10 times. Canon's wow. an easy one. You know, it's only two miles to the summit. So again, it's like, I got some time to kill. I want to go out, get some nice exercise, see some nice views. All right. Yeah. Let's go up Canon. Yeah, man. Uh, Bond Cliff is my favorite probably. Um, and yeah, that I, I just did that again this summer with my dad. We went up, uh, um, we went up the Valley Trail to 13 Falls and then uh, did South Twin and then looped around and did, uh, we slept on the top of West Bond and then did Bond and Bond Cliff and came down. But uh, it, it was funny actually that like, I think it was like just barely a month before I decided I was going to do the 48 for my senior project. My dad and I did the whole bond cliff ridge and like around and back down. Uh, so like 29 miles or something without adding on all the extra peaks. And there was six feet of snow and, uh, and it, but it was like that crunchy melted snow in the spring. Uh, Cause this was in like April or something. And it was completely clouded in, so didn't see a thing. And I was just miserable and I hated my life, just wanted to kill myself. And then like a few weeks later, I decided, okay, I'm doing the 48. So I didn't even count <laughs> that whole ridge, <laughs> but I had to do most of it over again anyway, because I had to get to Zealand. I had to get to North Twin, I had to get to Galehead. So it was like, whatever, we'll just do literally all of them again. Um, I actually put a little video together um, from when I did this. So this is this is 17 year old Reed. I do have a shaved head. It's kind of terrifying, but um, I'm not going to play this whole thing. Just like a minute of it, but this is actually on bond cliff right here. You're looking at Mount bond right there. Uh, and this is in may, I think right as we were starting. So my dad's doing the filming, but so if you're thinking about moving to New Hampshire, this is what the mountains look like. They're beautiful. Well, I've been down every trail, and I never took the car grade. I climbed, I climbed every mountain. I walked past every cave, and I should have missed you, babe. I climbed, I climbed every mountain. Isolation, Wombat, White Face, Galehead, Jackson, Tom, Boncliffe, Cannon, I'll head south and cock and fierce. Zealand, West Bond, Middle Carter, Garfield, Kerrigan, Mount Bond, so Washington, South Carter, and Jefferson. Eisenhower, Musilaki, Carter, Dome, Southwind, Monroe, Madison, Lafayette, Lincoln, Passaconaway, Noel Kinsby. Middle Drive Pyramid, East Osceola, North Drive Pyramid, Wildcat, Deep Blue, and Willie, too. Osceola, Adams, Field, and Hancock, Wildcat, South Kingsman, Hale, and Cabot, Northwood, Mariah, and Liberty. I climbed all 48, 4,000 footers in this state. I climbed, I climbed every mountain. Yeah, that <laughs> was a good time, man. <laughs> Dude, why haven't I ever heard this song before? Oh, you've never heard that one? No, I've never heard that one. Oh, yeah. It's my new favorite song now. Yeah, I found out about it after I finished the peaks, but that's a good one. I'll send it to you. Um, But, um, yeah, I don't know if you noticed in those pictures, I was wearing the exact same thing every time. So I had this, I still have that brown shirt. um, And I wore the same shoes and same shorts. And I had a completely shaved head at the beginning and then I didn't cut my hair until they were all done. So I had like, you know, kind of a, uh, like, I don't know, my hair was like an inch long or something by the time it was all over, but it was a lot of fun. I, I did most of them with my, with my dad and then did some of them with a bunch of friends and did a few of them alone. Um, it's funny whenever I go with someone, they always want to do Washington. I just did Washington again this year at pork fest with toad. Um, he almost died, but uh, <laughs> I uh, never, um, I don't know, like no one ever wants to go do Bond Cliff because they don't know what that is. They're all like, oh, I want to do Washington, man. And I like Washington. It's fine, but it's a little underwhelming when you get on top and there's a train station and a restaurant and, you know, like a city up there or whatever. Um, I, I like, you know, being out. I mean, the thing that's cool about Bond Cliff is you're so far out there. The only man-made thing you can really see is the towers on Mount Washington and then the ski trails on 
uh, on uh, Loon. And then other than that, like you can't see any roads. You can't really hear anything. You're just like way out there. That's what I always liked about that one so much. Yeah, Washington's actually my least favorite. I, I a lot of times I'm trying to get out into the woods to do some meditation, some mindfulness, get away from the noise of regular life and just getting up there and having all the buildings and the cars, the trains, right? Kind of kills the vibe a little bit. So Washington's actually my least favorite. And yeah, <laughs> West Bond is my favorite. Uh, I love West, West Bond, Bond, that one's great, yeah. man. Dude, um, uh, a West Bond sunset is insane. It's my favorite. Yeah, spending the night on that a uh, couple months ago, that was great. It's not too comfortable spending the night on it. There's not much room to put out a sleeping bag, but it was uh, it was really, really cool. Um, my least favorite is probably Owl's Head, just because you have to hike like 20 miles to get to the top and then you just can't see anything anyway <laughs> it's just like a it's all treed in and everything i mean you can kind of see when you're like going up that rock field but then you, i don't know it's just like this big flat topped hill in the middle of a valley with a bunch of trees on it so i count the journey when yeah. i factor in my favorites it's especially if you're going with friends owl's head is a good time uh my first time doing owl's head did it by myself it was a wednesday and so I did not see a single soul, not any wildlife out there. It was just me by myself for the entire time through Lincoln Woods, through the, the trail out there, just by myself. And it was quiet. And it got to the point where I just started like talking to myself, <laughs> like just trying to not lose my mind out there. It was insane how quiet and, and alone I was out there. Mm -hmm. uh, we got a question in the chat. Have you ever climbed Kearsarge? I have. I grew up in Sunapee, which is like, I don't know, 20 minutes away from there. So I've done that a bunch of times. You ever done that one? Which Kearsarge? I've done both. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the bigger one. I don't know if I've ever done the other one. Um, I think North okay. Kearsarge, that's the one in Conway. I think that one's a little bit taller, but yeah. Oh, that, I've done yeah. the smaller one then. Yeah, North Kearsarge has the uh, lookout tower on the top that you can stay in. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm talking the one in like Warner or wherever it is down yeah. um, Bradford area. Um, yeah, so w I was talking to you at Pork Fest because even though I'm a libertarian, I do care about nature a lot and I like hiking, being out in the woods. Um, and so I like to donate to organizations that you know want to preserve the trails and want to keep everything in order or whatever but everything's become so politicized so i never actually ever gave money to the sierra club and one of the reasons was because my whole thought was look if if your mission statement is just to protect these natural wonders then okay i'd be willing to donate you guys money but you just are always posting about stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with nature. Like you're talking about transgender laws and immigration laws and, you know, like making sure Democrats get elected to Congress. And you're never talking about like Yosemite or anything, you know, it seems like just a political hack organization. But I was talking with you about the Appalachian Mountain Club uh, versus the Randolph Mountain Club. And you were saying the Appalachian Mountain Club is actually a bureaucracy run out of Boston with a bunch of people who have all these arbitrary rules that they put in place. And they'll, you know, they'll, they'll, if you go and try to take initiative and do stuff yourself, you can get in trouble and just, just explain what that whole situation is there with the Appalachian mountain club. Yeah. So the AMC Appalachian mountain club, uh, they were established in the early 1800s. So they've been along for a really long time. And so they manage most of the Appalachian Mountains uh, north of New York. So they uh, do a little bit in like the Adirondacks and then all of Vermont pretty much and all of New Hampshire and all of Maine. Uh, and they run out of Boston. Uh, so that's already a red flag right there. They're managing <laughs> stuff that's not even close to where they are, you know, based out of. Right. And they're, I think they're almost close to a billion dollar nonprofit, which to be fair, 
having a nonprofit run the uh, maintenance and all the facilities and stuff in nature is actually, I think, is a good thing, right? It shouldn't be run by the government. I think it should be run by the people who care most about it and who are going to put their own money by donations right. to preserve the thing. So that, I think, is a good thing. However, the AMC has started to, well, not started, but definitely over like the last like 10 years, have become very politicized, doing a lot of like climate issue, uh, like lobbying. They haven't gone into like the Sierra, like Sierra Club levels of, you know, transgenderism or whatever, or pushing for like actual candidates. But you can definitely tell that they're doing things that aren't that great. And then also they they do for the most part have especially in the White Mountains have a monopoly over trail maintenance and the lodging, so like a lot of the tent sites or the the huts that you can stay at in the White Mountains those are all managed by the Appalachian Mountain Club and you're not allowed to camp within a quarter mile of these facilities and a lot of times they don't even set up tent platforms so you can camp at them so you're going to have to spend like the 150 dollars to stay overnight at a hut which is insane mm -hmm. and these huts are situated where there are water sources so if you're hiking through and you like a lot of times you need to camp by a water source that way you can have water to cook and and to hydrate through the night stuff like that so just having these facility set up where you can't utilize the you know water sources or the naturally flat ground uh to set up tent sites is kind of frustrating uh however there is one part of the white mountains the northern presidentials which is managed by the randolph mountain club they are based in randolph new hampshire so they're a lot more local their prices are a lot cheaper than the amc so like their tent sites and their huts are a lot cheaper they don't have the quarter mile rule that the amc huts have they're you know they understand the northern presidentials are pretty tough to find a tent site so if the best place you can find is right next to one of their huts they're not going to say anything about it so i am a rant i'm I've been a AMC uh, donating member. Uh, I'm a Randolph Mountain Club donating member. If you had to choose between the two, I donate to Randolph just because they're a lot more local and they do a better job, my opinion. Yeah, it's funny. It's They seem very libertarian in the way they do trails just because, you know, Randolph, um, where you can ascend Mount Adams from, Mount Adams and Jefferson, and uh madison there's just like this crazy network of trails at the bottom there like if you don't know where you're going there's just <laughs> there's like yeah. I, I wish i could like bring up a map of it right now but th there's like a hundred different like little trails going all over the place right there and it's very uh it's very libertarian you know you kind of like make your own path or whatever it's just kind of funny <laughs> yeah and a lot of them go through a lot more interesting areas of the white mountains too um there are trails that you have to like the Randolph mountain club. Uh, I think it's called like the glacier path or something like that. You have to like crawl through like rock caves and stuff like that. Yep. That's cool. Subway. I think yep. is the name of the trail out there. Yeah. No, that's, that's yeah. awesome. Like uh, it, it's the kind of long way to go, but you go up King ravine, but you go like into it and there's just these huge giant boulders and you kind of crawl through them and, uh, and then there's, uh, I think there's an ice cave there that has ice like all the way into the middle of the summer, just cause yeah. it's so much cooler down in there. Um, but I, I that's probably my f second favorite mountain is Adams. Cause it's, uh, it's big, but it's also, uh, out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and it doesn't have a train station on the top and a restaurant yeah. and everything, you know, it just feels kind of badass yeah. being up there. Yeah. For, for my, uh, Final 48 that I needed to get done was pretty much all of the presidentials. I needed to do uh, Madison, Adams, Jefferson, Monroe, Eisenhower, and Pierce. Those are the last ones that I needed. So I did a presidential traverse to finish it off and started hiking at midnight, did Madison. Uh, got up there around like 3 a.m. Uh, and then went over to Adams for 5 a.m. for the sunrise. And that was insane. Wow. That was that does sound the cool. most 
fiery sunrise I've ever seen. It was amazing. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I've done the presidential traverse. That hurts, man, because it's like the bonds. At least there's a lot of dirt in the trees and stuff. But man, it's just nothing but rock from Madison all the way to Pierce. And there's some or Jackson. Um, and there's some there's some dirt when you're on like the Crawford path. It's not that bad, but getting over Madison and Adams and Jefferson and clay and Washington. is just, it already kills you. And then is it, man, it's a good hike. It's beautiful, but your feet are just toast at the end of it. Or mine are at least maybe you're tougher yeah. than I am, but <laughs> yeah, no, I agree. They don't call it the rock pile for nothing. So yeah, um, I really enjoy probably one of my favorite trails is going up Jefferson and that's caps Ridge trail. Yep. Because you're like you're already starting up halfway up the mountain and it's steep as all hell. And you're like, I think it's like 1.6 the summit of Jefferson from from the base yeah. of, of the uh that trail, the trailhead there. And uh the nickname is the fastest route to the jet stream. That's always a lot of fun just getting up there above tree line, like within 15 minutes of hiking. It's so rewarding doing it that that way. Yeah, I'm like trying to, man, I isolation when I did that one. Um, it's well named, well named mountain, by the way. Um, I think it was when I did Jackson and Pierce. And from that angle, you had to like go all the way down into a valley and then up over another ridge to get to isolation. And um, I hate it when you have to hike for like 20 miles to see anything, you know, like when you can. It, with me my adrenaline kind of kicks in when i'm above the trees and i have the view and everything it just it makes it much more exciting to keep going up um the other thing that i've always found funny about hiking in the east versus the west have you hiked out west much i haven't i've only hiked east coast um obviously oh, new okay. hampshire i've done some main i've done all the vermont four thousand footers and then the uh, appalachian trail in georgia yeah so out west um the trees aren't six feet tall up high. They're still huge. So like when you're looking at the mountains here, they look way bigger than they are, but then you remember, Oh, that tree is only like three or four feet tall. And so it's kind of deceiving, but out West, you know, when you're, I don't know, 10,000 feet high, they still have like a, you know, a 40 foot tree on the side of the mountain. So it's like, Oh no, it actually is that big. <laughs> you know, it's, and the, the thing about hiking in the East they don't have out west is out here they kind of just like choose the quickest route up any any part of the hill you know it's just like okay we're just gonna the water flows down this way so we'll just build a trail right there and get all these huge rocks in the trail and all the dirt gets washed out and it's just like super super hard on your feet and it's just straight up the hill we're out west they actually take time to make all these switchbacks and it's mostly filled with dirt. So a three mile hike out West is like a walk in the park where a three mile walk out here can mean, Oh, you're climbing like a whole mountain because you're going yeah. straight up it. Um, so it, it's, it definitely, uh, definitely builds endurance for when you go hike in other places I've found. Yeah. I've talked to a lot of people who are hikers out West to 14 ers all the time. They come out here and they get their asses kicked. Like, um, you know, out West. Yeah. It's a bunch of switchbacks because the trails out West are designed to get, you know, cattle wagons resources across the mountains, whereas yeah. opposed to the East coast, um, especially the Northeast, right. The white mountains in particular, it's for recreation hiking. That, that's it. That's the only reason why we do it. And so it's just, well, we're just trying to get to the top. So go just straight up the mountain. Uh, there's a lot of history with that too. Um, European explorers were the first people to climb the mountains around here because the native Abenaki uh, believed that their gods lived at the summit of mountains. And so climbing the mountains would be sacrilegious. So they just never did it. Yeah. Um, the, <laughs> yeah the the thing that does suck about out west is the lack of oxygen i remember um, because once you get over like twelve thousand feet you start getting kind of dizzy and you have to take like three breaths where you used to just take one and my brother and i were out there and there was this trail that was pretty flat and we were just 
sucking air in just you know it was uh it was rough and all these kids are just like running by us on a school trip because they go to school up in the mountains or whatever so they were used to it um but once you get used to the oxygen the the hiking trails are way easier out there um well yeah man thanks for coming on um we'll probably do something again in the future we're doing a lot of stuff together here in new hampshire um, I think you're focusing on the most important issue for local stuff. Defend the guard. I, um, what's the website? Is it just defendtheguard.com? Is that where people can find out about it more? Uh, defendtheguard.us. Okay. Uh, I'll make sure I put that into the description, but go, uh, go to defendtheguard.us and whatever state you're in, uh, you know, just talk to your representatives about it and try to, you know, try to get it passed because it would really, it, it, it's really the only way to put the screws to anybody. Like even if you have someone like Donald Trump who wanted to pull the troops out of Syria or Afghanistan and, you know, his generals are lying to him about it. Like the best way you can put the screws to the system is by not letting them take the troops in the first place, not letting them take the national guard and put them into harm's way unless they declare war. Um, but any final thoughts you got before we end, Derek, or and anything you want to plug? I don't know if there's anywhere else. You said you got a podcast your friends are doing or whatever. Uh, anything you want to adver- advertise? Yeah, working on a podcast. It's not out yet. Um, just recording a few episodes. But definitely check out uh, Free State Project, right? Check out what we're doing here in New Hampshire. Uh, go to fsp.org. Uh, if you're close to New Hampshire, check out the calendar there. Find an event that's close to you and just show up we're pretty friendly people we'll welcome you with open arms and then also check out uh justin o'donnell's new book that just came out live free and thrive 101 reasons why liberty lives in new hampshire so if you need some convincing about what's going on here in new hampshire and the whole free state movement it's free on amazon on uh, kindle so just download it take a look at 101 reasons why you should move here and then do it absolutely all right well thanks for joining me man um thanks everyone for watching we will catch you on the next stream